This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast here on the AHP Digital Radio Network, the only dedicated hunting, shooting and fishing radio show here in Australia. If you'd like to find out more about AHP, visit australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. If you would like to email us, then you can go to the website and click on the contact icon. Or alternatively, you can email me directly at australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to listen to the Australian Hunting Podcast, you can visit the website and click on the archived podcast link. You can also subscribe to the Australian Hunting Podcast on iTunes for automatic updates. Make sure you leave a comment and rate us five stars on iTunes. That would be much appreciated. On Facebook, you can find us under Australian Hunting Podcast, where listeners are sharing ideas, thoughts and opinions, as well as photos and videos twitter.com forward slash ahpodcast if you'd like to follow our twitter feed you can also check out my videos on youtube under the name aussie federal control alternatively all social media links can be found on the website everyone knows i love my listeners but i've got especially some extra special love for my donating listeners if you'd like to donate or do a monthly subscription to the show go to the website and click on the donate button on the right hand side of the main page and show your support which is always appreciated that helps us keeps the lights on in this joint and pay those bills we have over 65 hours of free podcasting audio content to date for you all to enjoy Share the Australian Hunting Podcast with your friends and family and get as many people as you know into hunting, shooting and fishing as possible so they can enjoy this fantastic lifestyle that we all love. So as usual, without further ado, let's get into my interview with today's guest. G'day, this is Dean Mile. I'm the National President of the Sporting Shooters Association of Australia and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. All right, Dean Meyer, welcome to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. No worries, Jace. Good to talk to you and to your listeners. No worries. I've been saying Miguel a bit too to a lot of people. I didn't know it was actually Meyer, but I've just learned something new today. <laughs> oh, well, you know, you've got an awkward surname too, and uh, they don't always get pronounced right, but you never let it worry you, mate. Yes, I've been called worse things. No worries, mate. I guess tell us a bit about yourself, Dean. Mm-hmm. I guess your professional life. Uh, I guess, how you got into hunting, shooting, fishing, uh, one or all of the above? I... Well, look, I'm a sparky by trade. I was an apprentice electrician and an electrician um, for a few years. I got involved with the ET, the Electrical Trade Union, ETU in Victoria. Uh, became a union official way back in 1988. And that's been about the last 25 years. I left that role last year and I serve on a number of boards for the union and for my own company. And... Uh, Got a bit of an interest in a lot of things. Started the Australian Remembrance Foundation, doing work to um, help find lost diggers in World War One, and build a visitor centre in France, and lots of you know great ambitions. But as a hunter, it really started for me when I uh, my grandfather gave me a 22 Model 49 Winchester when I was 12, and we went rabbiting, and from that day started my love affair with with hunting. Yeah. Do you do any sort of you know target shooting? Are you mainly just a hunter? You sort of you know shotguns, pistols, rifles. What are you? What, what's the uh, what's Dean Moore like to get into? 
No, mate, I'm just a, I'm a, I'm your bog stock Aussie hunter, you know, foxes, rabbits, pigs, and I have no love for ferals. I know, like many thousands of good hunters, we do the environment a favour every time we take out a feral. Not that everyone sees it that way, but I know we're good. Um, yeah, look, I don't do target shooting. I'm not a disciplined shooter. I haven't come from that side of the, of the sport. You know, mine's been more from the hunting side, not organised shooting. Yeah, nah, fantastic. Before we guess we get into the main questions, can you tell us that, or sorry, tell the listeners, uh, well, guess where you stand on gun laws, uh, specifically regarding uh, Howard's gun laws, obviously registration, uh, licensing, and obviously the 1996 uh, National Firearms Agreement. Mm. Well, yeah, <laughs> it was a dark day for thousands of us because we lost fire, firearms that were used lawfully. Um, I think it was a day I was made feel like a criminal for the first time in my life, I suppose, when those laws come in. Every time I have a marked police car around in my house doing a firearms inspection, you know, no offence to the police, they're doing their job, but, you know, the neighbours are looking through the windows and, you know, <laughs> you follow the law. I mean, the, I guess that's the thing from 96 that that I hate the most. I, I think I resent the most is to be a law-abiding citizen, you know, pursuing legitimate recreational hunting and shooting and... Yeah, made to feel guilty for for being a firearms owner. You know, every time we go in the bush, you know that that evaporates. But uh, those laws that took away legitimate semi-autos that were used in, you know, proper either sporting applications or hunting applications was ridiculous. And you know, the shotguns. I lost a lovely pump-action shotgun I'd had for decades that That's I used it. for for hunting. And you know, I just I don't get it. The overreaction. You know, from the government, the politics that can be played with shooting can be devastating. And, you know, I'll, I'll never forgive Howard for 96. Yeah, perfect. So regardless of the laws in the country, do you see it? Yeah, you know, the government always saying, or the registry, uh, I guess the government as well, which basically is a you know, New South Wales police force, say it's a privilege to own a firearm. You see it as a privilege uh, or more of a right in this country to own a firearm. We know that, you know, the, the Americans have got the uh, Second Amendment, obviously, and their constitutionally mm-hmm. protected right, which, you know, somewhat we don't have here, obviously. But what do you think about that? Well, I think you know you can. I think a right is something enshrined in law, in in a, in a legal sense, naturally. But you know, I think the right for Australians to engage in safe, law-abiding activity should be a fundamental right, no matter whether it's playing football, riding trail bikes, or hunting or shooting. Um, you should be allowed to do things that are safe, that are not a threat to anyone else, that are lawful. And I think that, in a broad sense, should be fundamental right to all of us to operate with those freedoms. There's a lot of people that sacrificed a lot for this country to be democratic and free. And I just see so many things creep into Australian society that that's, that slowly erodes that, you know, that even the, the anti-biker laws in Queensland. Yep. You know, if you ride in a group of more than four motorcyclists, all of a sudden you find yourself in solitary confinement in pink overalls. You know, it's like people chip away at what I like to call a democratic freedom, which I think democratic freedom is right. And I think we all don't do enough to fight on all those fronts to make sure that those rights are maintained. And we're losing it, in my honest opinion. Yeah, would you be happy tomorrow, like let's say they introduced or they were happy to you know, reintroduce and get rid of these categories of firearms? I know, you know on my Facebook page there is some people that you know, don't actually want our rights back, which is quite mind-boggling, actually. I did put a bit of a post about uh, that on my uh, Facebook page or the Australian Party 
Train Hunting Podcast Facebook page. Would you be happy for a reintroduction of those, you know, within reason, those, you know, you know five-shot semi-automatics for guys that want to hunt ducks, or as you had, your, your, you know, your, your pump shotgun, would you be happy to reintroduce those to the general shooting populace? Absolutely. You know, I, I think, you know, where they're in the hands of law-abiding people, they're fine. You know, there was never the weight of evidence to take them from us in the first place. It wasn't like it was a meritorious, justified debate. It was a political stunt. Of course, we should have the right to have those firearms. And, you know, a lot of people hunted really effectively with them. Um, they were in sporting competitions with them. I, I must admit, I did a little bit of military rifle club way back, and I had a, uh, a lovely M14. You know, that all went. It was all registered and all those sorts of things. And, you know, people got great pleasure out of lawful use of those firearms. And where they're done safely and properly and for legitimate purpose, law-abiding people should be able to have those firearms. It is that simple. Yeah, and I had some at the range the other day, actually listening to my show, and I was actually out at Silverdale, and I sort of didn't recognise them, they recognised me, and we're having a bit of a chat about this, and they said, well, no, they didn't agree that uh, we should have access to because they go, who hunts with an AR-15? And I said, well, uh, clearly you've never been to America, because I've got quite a bunch of friends uh, in the United States that actually love hunting with an AR, and I said, no doubt there's probably more people that hunt with an AR in the States than there actually is gun owners over here, so... I felt that was a pretty, pretty silly statement, but uh, I guess I, I know you're obviously the president, current president of the National, uh, sorry, the Sporting Shooter Association of Australia. Uh, what were you involved with in, before taking the presidency at the SSAA? Uh, well, before I became president, I was the senior vice president for a year before that, so I've had a couple of years on the national board. Uh, then I was on the Victorian board of the Sporting Shooters Association for a few years before that. So I put my hand up in Victoria to um, to try and make a bit of a difference and Im improve its governance and the way it was run down here and um, then took a, a real keen interest in the national. I mean, what the states do is really, really important. They're the leading edge of the SSAA and they're the people that own and operate the ranges or, you know, the more ranges the better, but don't get me started on that. But So they're where the rubber hits the road. But the national, I've always saw the national as being an incredibly important part of the SSAA. I could basically see what I thought. I always thought it could be and, um, and where it wasn't. So I sort of turned my focus a little bit to see if I could you know, make some effective change within the National Association and and, and help give it some more clout. Um, you know, I guess I had a vision and um, I wanted to see if I could make a difference. Absolutely. How did you how did you get involved in the presidency? Did, did someone give you an approach or how did you get involved in becoming, I guess, the president? Yeah, well, look, you know, um, there was a bit of division within the states of the SSAA and and different tribes within it and uh, I saw it tearing itself apart and... Uh, I sort of basically, Bob Green had been the long-serving national president of the SSA over many, many years. And, you know, I don't, knowing Bob had done some tremendous work, Bob was keen to get out and he said, look, you know, you're younger, you've got a bit of a vision, you know, you want to make some changes or do things, do you, would you like to have a crack at it, you know? And it was a bit unusual because I wasn't a long-term state president or anything like that. And um, I didn't really want to do it at first. I didn't think I was was up to it enough and then I sat back and thought well the experiences I've had in my life and the, and the vision I have then that I do know I'm not really strong on disciplines I rely relied heavily on Bob Green to be the discipline chairman for me and he's he knows that well so well um, so I was able to do other things and I thought well this is a chance I'll give it a go so I nominated and uh, and away we went yeah guess tell us about some of the benefits of being working for an organization mm -hmm. like the Sporting Shooters Association well, the benefits, I suppose, is contributing back to your lifestyle and your sport. 
that you love and, and wanting to defend it and advance it. And you know, with the SSAA, they do that on so many levels. And it's been a huge eye-opener for me, the way that the SSAA really devotes itself to maintaining every discipline of shooting. No matter what you shoot, the SSAA will try and advocate for it and even taking on board archery. We did a couple of months ago, I've reached out and said, yeah, let's, let's, let's work with archers and get them involved in the SSA, which I thought was a great move forward. But, you know, whether you shoot a 50-caliber 50, 50 Barrett sniper rifle in a competition, the SSA will sort of put a lot of time to, to making sure that there's a category for you to shoot and hence a legitimate reason for you to own that firearm. And, you know, Jason, when you were saying before, there's a lot of guys that don't want our rights back. Well, you know, I don't shoot semi-auto auto action pistol. I don't do that. But by geez, I... I respect and defend the right for the guys that do, you know, or I'm not into lever action cowboy, but geez, those guys have a ball and it's safe and and good on them. So I think, you know, people, shooters, whether you're a hunter or a shooter, you should defend everyone else's right to lawfully use a firearm. You know, you don't have to do it yourself. And that's one of the great things with the SSA, it's one of the things they do well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I guess on the flip side, tell us about what some of the, I would say negatives, but yeah, I guess I'd say the negatives working for the Sporting Shooter Association that you've seen. Um, well, I guess from a, uh, it's any sporting association, I think, it will suffer the same challenge as we do. It's, um, you know, we, we've had constant membership growth and we're up to around 160,000 members, which is a fantastic achievement, but realistically... Um, We'd be kidding ourselves if we said a lot of that isn't because people join so that they've got a reason to to get a permit to purchase or or to obtain a firearm license. Um, when my old union days, I looked at that a little bit like compulsory unionism, where everyone had to be in the union. Actually, I don't like it. I think it's a weak form of unionism. I think it's a weak form of membership. Ideally, there's 800,000 licensed shooters in this country. You know, really, we should be aiming to have. 60, 70, 80% of those people want to be in the SSA because it stands for them. So I think any association faces challenges on how you communicate externally, and that's a huge challenge for the SSA, and I honestly don't think we've got that right. I have managed to get up a subcommittee into communications. It's an internal one, you know, I have yeah. reservations about us naval gazing and having a whole bunch of shooters around a table trying to develop a communication strategy and my ambition will be to get some external support, people that do this professionally and can take a 160,000 member organisation, whether it be, you know, a, a running group or a football league or, or us as shooters and say, how do we turn ourselves into the most effective communicators we can be to our members to those people who are other shooters, to the shooting industry, to governments. Because if you communicate effectively, communications is power. You get people on side, you bring them with you on a message. I mean, you've got to have a message worth selling, you've got to have a vision. So to me, that's the hub of it. And um, I'm probably a little bit impatient for change, I think. Some of the states will say, you know, Dean, look, you know, we understand what you're saying, son, but slow down. And, you know, I mean... Give me a reason to slow down, not just, oh, well, we've tried this once before back wages ago and it didn't work. Well, you know, it's about like when I, I think we we had, uh, Jason, 10% of our members' email addresses. And I looked at, and I'm just looking at it, and I'm going, oh, my God, you know, if we were in a 1996 again, how ready are we to fight? How quickly can we mobilise our troops? And I look at organisations like... Um, 
the enemy of our sport, which is often, you know, the Greens, in terms of the policy position, particularly in your state in New South Wales, but, you know, or, or any of the Green environmental groups that want to demonise us for whatever reason, they campaign electronically and they do it very well. Organisations like GetUp, organisations like the NRA, they are political machines. And we need to be as good, if not better, than them. We need to have every member's email address. We need to be, say, when they got rid of the Game Council in New South Wales, we should have hit those politicians with 50,000 emails within three days. That's what I call getting ready for war. Because your members go, hey, the SSA is up and about. Politicians go, God, look at the people these can mobilise. And it's not that hard. The technology's there. So, you know, I want to see the SSA become that. But the states, I think, you know, in some states will take some convincing to change from what we are. Yep. I know a lot of uh, members of the SSSA have received emails, the Facebook page. I mean, it's, uh, members seem to be unsure whether the SSAA is political or purely a, a shooting or membership club. Which one is it? Well, we, well we're all of the above. Um, <clears throat> how effective we are is really, you know, up for some serious self-analysis and some criticism I, you know, and I'll wear that and Jason I put my membership email out there in the SSAA publication and when I find it I want to do it there's a few people said oh you have every nutter email you well you know what I haven't had that I've had emails from members with criticisms well put with some absolutely awesome ideas and you know some of them you know, a bit far-fetched and some of them just want to tell me something and even if they do, that's fine, because you take on board what people say. Um, that's been a good move. So I suppose in terms of shaping the organisation, the SSAA has a very heavy focus on defending the disciplines and sports. And in many states, that's where your presidents and office bearers come from, those sub-clubs within the SSAA. So maybe the hunters don't get a strong influence, but it was interesting. I know um, Jeff Jones in Queensland and... The Queensland president and Bob Green said, "Well, you, it's good that you could be the president, Dean, because you don't—you're not bogged down with all that. Um, you don't come from it. You're not—you know—your thinking isn't dictated by it. You're just a hunter." And I said, "Well, just as long as you back me up on that discipline side, because as much as I appreciate and defend everyone who shoots for whatever reason in competition shooting, um, it's not my area of expertise. So it's a bit of a broad church, Jase. But do we lobby politically well enough? No, we don't." Um, Tim Bannister, our national, uh, our national bloke who did our lobbying, we made our CEO. We haven't backfilled there. Um, you know, we've got some serious work to do to become an effective political lobby group. It's a huge challenge for us, and we're not good enough. Yep. Uh, can you tell the listeners, I guess, what, how long you've been the president for and what some positives uh, have been achieved since uh, your tenure at the SSAA? Well, I've only been president for the last year, and vice, senior vice president the year before that. <clears throat> um, one of the first things, one of the great things that the SSA does or does reasonably well is the Shot Expo. It's in Melbourne, Sydney, um, and in Victoria, we moved, and I was a strong part of moving it to a professionally run show. And we did get a, an events management company in, and the whole thing was much more professional. We learned from it. It was much better for the industry. Um, they loved it. They want to come back to it. We've, naturally, it's Melbourne, Sydney. Well, I've now managed to get that to Brisbane and also to get it out to Perth, which showcases our sport, whether it's the SSAA, Shot Expo or not. It's a great event for, for shooting, so that's been good. Um, also, the communication stuff. You know, I think at every board meeting, I'll 
bang on about <clears throat> wanting to upgrade our communications. I want to get a TV show. You know, I'm very desperate to get on the, to the digital network and uh, I was having some discussions with Simon Christie who does, many of your listeners will know, four-wheel drive TV, four-wheel drive pay trips and he's a mad keen hunter. <laughs> he's clear and uh, a four-wheel driver, as am I, and he... Um, you know, he was. He and I talked about getting a show up in place on the digital network, and just imagine the power of talking about all things shooting on a show that reaches half a million Australians. You know, the costs of it can get offset by sponsorship, would have industry support. Imagine getting good shooting messages about about hunting, about clay target shooting, about how to get into shooting, about or well, anything you want from our world and get it out there to Australia. We haven't had that. You know, I just see that opportunity and they're the sort of things that, you know, I've driven at as, as, as president and, um, you know, basically continued to ensure the governance of the SSA is good, that we look after our money and we work in with the states where we can and, um, and also tried to push very hard that we continue, Jason, being involved in environmental programs um, and making sure that people understand that we are environmentalists too, not just hunters. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, good stuff. I know, uh, firstly, my friend Mario, he, he co-hosts one of my other shows that I do, a straight shooting media sort of politics, social media sort of podcast on firearms. And he actually put us, uh, put me on to you and brought over a bunch of magazines uh, where we started to see your president's letter and uh, uh, some of the positives. And he said this was great and he really enjoyed it. And that's how I first found out about you. And uh, you mentioned stronger ties uh, in the in your president's letter on a number of occasions. I think uh, in about the NRA. Uh, how does uh, do you think this affect the organisation, uh, and how do, how does this benefit uh, the shooters in this country by being more like the NRA? Because I found this was very positive. So can you expand on that? Well, again, you know, I think um, if you put it in a military context and you're in a fight, you want to be as strategically well-placed as you can. And if you can learn something from your opposition, learn it before you go to war. If you can learn something from an ally, learn it. And the NRA um, is an is a extremely powerful political lobby group and advocate for shooters' rights. And in America, it's in a totally different context, but there are things we can learn for them, how they communicate, um, what their strategies are, how they lobby government, what's effective campaigning, how do they effectively campaign, how do they get to non-members. See, to me, you know, with all due respect, organising shooting competitions and all that sort of stuff is fantastic. I'm probably more focused on where, we, where we're at our weakest, and I'll be honest to say I think we are, is, is being out there as the number one voice and a powerful political lobby group of shooters. And the reason that, that I look to the NRA is not to hold us bowlers in any way, uh, encompass their beliefs or their politics, but to learn from you know, what is obviously the most effective shooting political lobby group in the world. Um, and if we're not prepared to learn from them, we're not prepared to learn. You know, you don't have to adopt everything, you don't have to believe anything, you don't have to agree with it, but learn. And that's where my involvement with the NRA is. I mean, we had um, uh, Ronnie Bryant, who's our Junior Vice President of Western Australia, came back and told our National Secretary go over and meet with the NRA. Um, and that was fantastic this year. Keep that idea, keep the exchange going, keep the information going. And we're even getting uh, an NRA representative out to our annual general meeting in May. So... 
I mean, those relationships were fostered by Bob Green and others before me. It's just that I probably look at it in that um, campaigning politics. My real aim, if I, you know, if there was one thing I could wish for the SSAA, it would be that they they realise their potential of what they could be and and become an extremely powerful political lobby group. And you asked me for Jace. Are we political? Yes, we are. Are we party political? No, we are very independent. Our states get involved in different parties in different states, which you see in New South Wales. You'll see something else in Queensland, something else in Victoria. It's largely centred around state politics because that's where so many of the firearms laws are made. But national, we stay independent, but it doesn't mean we can't be very, very strong. And, and I think that's the area I'd love us to really get involved in, really grow a set of balls, you know. Sorry to say that. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. Uh, that's what we like. We like it. We, you know, we, I, I've got a podcast called Straight Shooting, so that can ties over to these podcasts as well. But you know, I guess the double S double A. A lot of members again have emailed me. This is what I've heard from members that they seem uh, they're mostly non-existent uh, on their approach when dealing with, say, some legislative changes. Now that may be totally incorrect, but if they, if they are strong on legislative changes, then why aren't the members seeing or hearing about it? And that's the biggest beef some of the members have had with the double S double A. They say well, we are doing stuff, but the the rank you know the rank and file mm. members just aren't hearing about it. So what can we what can we do, and why aren't they hearing about it? Well, that's our fault. The SSAA should take absolute responsibility for the fact that our communication is not effective enough with our members. And, you know, that's a problem. We, we're very good on, you know, our communication strategy, and I'm being extremely frank and honest with you as I can be, has centred around the Australian Shooter magazine. And that's a magazine that'll go out to members and they'll read it, you know, whenever they can or not read it or flick to the section they want. And we haven't been good at getting our message out beyond that. And I'll go back to the email campaign. We had 10% of our members' email. We've ramped that up with the campaign. Members are sending in their emails, and please do that. Get them through the SSA so we can get email alerts out. Um, if you look at some of the um, email um, publications that get, the Australian Shooter and all of those sort of things, they are probably, they have beaten us to the punch on a whole lot of issues of getting timely information out. Facebook, you know, it, it was a huge challenge to convince the SSAA to want to go to a Facebook page. And then even when we did that, at the last board meeting, we said, oh, yes, but it's only going to be what we post. Members can't interact. And, you know, that was a board decision. I absolutely respect it. But it misses the point. You know, we, we, we want... So we should have Facebook pages. We should have absolute email alerts databases and lists and we should have electronic campaigning tools red hot ready to go push the button on a campaign and that's mm. where I think our members are saying get involved I get it <laughs> I really get it and it's been my past <laughs> experience with the union my members demanded excellence in communication and the more they got it the stronger we got you know the two would definitely go hand in hand so that's the battle I've got but I'm a bit lucky in that I've been shaped by other membership-based organisations that were at the front line of a fight, whether you happen to love trade unions or not. doesn't really matter. That's not my, my <laughs> mission here. Yeah. But in terms of organising shooters, I look at it from that mentality. Organise, get strong, get leverage, win. And if we don't get strong, we don't communicate, we don't have leverage, we're not going to have those powerful wins. And, you know, I want politicians to respect us and I want them to fear us. Yeah, uh, mate, you're saying all the right things. I really like it. I guess what issues are the double S double A currently tackling in regards to 
uh, getting our 96, uh, you know, pro-gun uh, rights back to the, to the state's uh, SSAA uh, state branches, so, you know, support these freedoms and liberties, or is, it, or is it not supported? I guess the members would like to know. Yeah, look, I think all of our state branches do their very best in terms of tackling this legislation at a state level, which is where most of your firearms legislation is. I mean, if you, you talk about being able to get your message out, Tim Bannister, who's the national CEO, will put out media release after media release after media release, and it's just so hard that no one often picks them up, and we have to work really hard to get a story up, and uh, often we're responding to a shooting incident with nothing to do with our members, and it is really difficult. But states are very, very active. Even at national, we're very, very active. And I remember some, and a lot of your listeners will sympathise with the plight of of not having suppressors for rifles. The, the total madness of not allowing a, a long-arm rifle to have a suppressor. I mean, if you go to New Zealand or you go to England where they actually go, geez, this is pretty good. It cuts down all noise pollution. It's improves safety for the shooter. A lot of them, a lot of people work as professional shooters. Yep, we won't let them have a suppressor on their rifle. I mean, the madness of it. So we've had lobbying about that. We've had presentations. We've had politicians down to 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 rifle ranges and say, hey, have a look at what these things really are. It's not like the movies. This is real. And they are safe and they are smart and they improve safety. So please, can we take the ideology out of the way? I mean, those sort of campaigns go on all the time. And um, I know it, it, it frustrates us enormously that we can't get that message out. Hence, I go back, Jason, to say, well, let's have a TV show on the Seven Digital Network that gets half a, half a million Australians. Can I tell you what? I bet every single one of our opponents will watch it mm. because it will be the most effective way of us not just talking to members but non-members and the public at large. And you know, politicians will start to take notice, particularly if we, we get our message out much more than we are now. Yeah, we're talking about, and I've got a, bit, a little bit of a bearer of bad news, a little bit, because me and my co-host Mari often have a conversation about the magazine. Now, I'm, I'm not sure, I think we spoke before, you, you may be, but myself and Mari are members of the NRA, and we get the First Freedom magazine. Now, if you look at the First Freedom magazine compared to what the SSAA are putting out, I mean, uh, they couldn't be polar opposites. Uh, you know, whilst the magazine has some great articles in there, hunting, we all want to read about hunting, we all want to... But um, we're not reading anything about getting our rights back. We're not reading about anything mm-hmm. that I say would be would be tackling our rights. How can... I mean, having a TV show, I guess, would, would take care of hopefully a lot of that and get mm. uh, uh, into a TV show. But, I mean, even when the, the Game Council, as we spoke about earlier... Uh, was disbanded. I know this was a, a very short notice, obviously, during production, but, I mean, it was page 84. I mean, the insurance, you know, was more important on page 83, and the, you know, a certain firearm advertisement on page 12, I think, one was more important than, you know, 20,000 license uh, holders or Game Council license uh, holders uh, with nowhere to hunt. So who, who, is someone in charge of the magazine? How can we get the word out and make the magazine more effective? Well, just to go, one of the great problems with the magazine is lead time, and um, Di Mallam, the SSA and New South Wales Secretary, uh, rang me. I also heard from uh, Robert Brown, uh, Shooters and Fishers Party um, MP in New South Wales, who I really appreciate. He gave me a call and a heads up on the day that it happened, which is great to know. And I got onto New South Wales SA and said, what can we do to help? And you know, I think they were in a little bit of shock at first, which they would be. And uh, then Di came back and said, how quickly let me get something in the magazine? I said, let's do it. Put on the cover for all. Go and knock yourself out. Um, the problem is, is our lead times for our magazines is so bloody long that the thing was at the printers by the time the story broke. So then you've got to try and rip and tear and cut and paste and put it in when you can. So the, it, it, 
you know, if we had proper lead time, it would have been a front page story because the you know members in Queensland and Victoria were also really concerned about that, not just our New South Wales guys and girls. You know, it's, it was a huge issue. And again, it's a huge issue as an attack on shooters. You know, for me, it's front page stuff. But that got in late on that um, really, really late. I think it was already at the printers by the time we just said, hey, don't press the button to print. We, we need to get this in. So, you know, but if you go back to your other story about the NRA publications, again, it's that huge political focus and it's and it's that they're a powerful lobby group. And again, it goes back to my point. <clears throat> you don't have to embrace all the philosophies and beliefs of the NRA, but look at what they do well. They articulate very strongly on political issues and we don't, you know, we don't. So we need to learn from that and, you know, have those publications and, you know, I've been asked nationally, why can't we do our hard copy publications, give members a choice whether they want it in email? All of my NRA publications come by email, saves the organisation post, and I like it. And it's not magazines lying around. Can we do that with ours? You know, oh, no, oh, God, you know, it's changed. It's, it's all a bit hard. Um, you know, what, and then if you're doing electronic publications, well, they're cheap, they are fast, they are rapid, and you can get your political message out, you know. So we need to bear a bit of time to get my electronic database um, set up. And it's one of the things that, you know, that I've really, really tried to encourage. So then we can email campaign if that's what the organisation ultimately decides it wants to do. Mm. Oh, well, hopefully in the future we see you know some some different changes with the magazine. I know a lot get a lot of emails when before we obviously prepare for this show, and you know even before the game council, people just aren't seeing you know which politicians like the NRA, as you said, do it very well. They name and shame their politicians. They put them on the front page of the magazine. I mean, the the NRA put their uh, president Barack Obama on the front of their magazine, saying King Pinocchio. This man thinks he's like you, and trying to portray, well, you know, he shoots un under and over shotguns. Therefore, he's not trying to take away your firearms. I mean, people, this is what people want to see, Dean. They want, they, they want, they want, you know, they want a, a strong voice, someone, some organisation. I guess with such a huge membership base, people want it to be the double S double A. They truly do. And Jase, I think the most important thing. Um, I mean. I'm I agree on that, and that's where I would have loved to have taken the SSAA. But realistically, I think that you know your your listeners, members of the SSAA, you know, really need to um, lobby their states to to have the association more active on some of these issues, and and to become that political force, and and to get that communication strategy right. You know, is to say to their state presidents who come to the national board. Yeah, this is really what we expect from you, and we would like you to go harder on this. And that's the sort of change that we really need. You know, some some get it and some don't. But you know, and there is some presidents come along and say, "Hey, look, Dean, you know, that's your view of the world. We're a constantly growing, successful, strong organisation, just the way we are." Yeah. And you know, that will be that that will be their legitimate way of saying, "Well, that's the way they think the organisation has run for years, and that's why it should continue to run." And, you know, they may be right. I have, you know, I suppose I have a different passionate view about being, you know, that powerful organisation. But, you know, each to their own. Yeah. 
like we said before, you know, a lot of members are doing it for a genuine reason. We just love, you know, I mean, I guess you say, hey, if you, you know, define success in building membership base, well, then absolutely, they're very successful in doing that. But, you know, they've lacked, as you said before, as we both said, in other areas. But uh, I guess, you know, I've got to go on to the next part, which is to, you know, for listeners that don't know that maybe listen to this show, that when it comes out, you actually, you won't be re-nominating uh, for the presidency as you said, only after being 12 months in the job. So you're not putting your hand up again for the national presidency, uh, which is you know, a bit disappointing since you know a lot of people really enjoyed what you had to say. They started to get on board. They felt positive. I saw posts on forums about uh, what you've been saying. So can you just discuss in more detail any reasons from withdrawing uh, from the SSAA leadership role? Um, well, there's a few things. Uh, one of the great aspects of the SSAA is that we are an all-volunteer organisation. It's interesting, a few members of the range going, oh, geez, you know, is that a good paying job, the National President to the SSAA? <laughs> and I laugh and I'm saying, yep, yeah, we get our expenses back. Whatever we're out of pocket, we produce a receipt, we get it back for a fuel bill or something like that when I drive to South Australia. And, and our state presidents and office bearers all do the same. And in some ways, it's a little bit of a limitation because we've got our our magazine staff and our CEO and our national hunting manager, they're naturally paid staff, but the rest of us are volunteers. That's good uh, in one way because it's honourable, but the other thing is perhaps we lack, um, you know, the, we should be engaging more professional people um, to really drive it. You go to the NRA, for example, um, their staff is huge. And, um, you know, you have people with a lot of ability and a lot of input and a lot of professionalism that they bring, and there's a huge advantage in that which needs to be looked at. But... For me, I've also started the Australian Remembrance Foundation and uh, it's about World War I um, remembrance in particular. Western Front is a bit of a focus. Uh, I'm aiming to um, raise money and uh, to get a visitor information centre in France, um, build that if I can at a place called Pozier where we lost 28,000 casualties within about seven weeks within a square mile. So, um, you know, there's no full-time Australian presence on the Western Front. I'm a bit of a World War I fanatic and... We want to do some memorials and um, I'm currently trying to find a, a particular lost digger that's a bit near and dear to my heart who has no known grave after the war. So my timing to get that up, Jace, is yeah. it's 2014. We're right on the centenary and if I've got any clout and want to get any finance together for it, I have to put a whole lot of time in. It's all, you know, for the love of remembrance, which is very appropriate, something I'm very, very passionate about. And I guess ultimately, you know, I will give my time to an organisation where I think I can make effective change and um, I don't think I can make that effective change honestly within the SSAA. I, yeah, in the last two years on the national, <clears throat> I've seen it, I, I probably, states and full full respect to their, their rights and wishes probably don't share the same vision or if they do, um, will you know, want to take a long slow road and you know, that's not my cup of tea really. Um, and it's not the members' cup of tea either. They well, they're happy with you. They want they want change. They they support you. From what I'm being, I mean, I've never heard anyone at this stage say that's read what you've said in the uh, president's letter that they don't support you. They want this fast change. Why aren't the people there getting on board and supporting you and get this fast change moving? Is it just naturally slow or? Yeah, I think. Look, I think it's the SSA is conservative. Um, it is a conservative association, not politically conservative, but action conservative. <clears throat> One of the criticisms I used to hear about it, oh, it was governed and it was badly governed, there was dodgy money and all that. I've got to tell you, it's been one of the most well-governed and scrutinised organisations. One thing I'll say to SSA members, those guys will look after 
the members' money extremely well, and that's great. But in terms of um, change, well, yeah, I just uh, I guess I've got a vision, and they've got a vision, and they're state presidents, and I have to have respect for what they've done and what they've achieved and, and what their views are. Ultimately, you know, I, I have to go along with the decisions of the board, and I can either go along with it um, or just be in constant in disagreement over things and you know whether they be little things like having a Facebook page where the members can post stuff or you know the really really big ticket items about the communication strategy you know there's a real fundamental difference in views and I can't make that change and I don't have the numbers there to make that change and it's not the will of the states and if it's not then you know then it's time for me to move on. Mm, unbelievable. Uh, Dean, I guess the vast majority of SSSA members I'm speaking to are hugely sort of disappointed you're leaving the organisation. They sort of saw you as a bit of a, bit of a great white hope and a future of the SSSA and they were very much in favour of uh, where you wanted to take the organisation. So I guess this is to the members, but what do you have to say to uh, the members now that you're leaving? Well, I think, you know, stick with the SSA by all means, but, but get active within your branches and, and write to them and... Um, explain to them what you want you know interesting when I got involved in Victoria uh, we had to replace the CEO went with a new guy he went to the office and we had 6,000 unread emails 6,000 some of that might have been spam but there's a lot of members that are emailing asking for help wanting to join how do I get involved what can I do well this is my view well the SSA is a membership based organisation and we should be ambitious for change and if we want that um, then that's the place to get involved in, is with your clubs and 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 take these issues up um, through the organisation. So look, we do want to change that. The guys that I've served with on the on the board are all bloody really decent people in all states. And they might have different views and different views on politics, but their dedication uh, to the members. Jeff Jones in Queensland, you know. I've got a view of the world. Jeff's a bit different. Jeff's a bit older than me, and he's a bit more stable, and he's got a lot of experience. And yeah, he'll have a different view to things than me. But I respect him, and because of the work he does in his state and his love for it, and you know, I can't knock that. So there's a great passion with in the SSAA. I suppose I'm shaped by my experience. They're shaped with theirs. I've got a vision, but they've got the numbers <laughs> so, so that's the difference mm, so i guess people can take take from that i guess what you're saying but are you continuing on on with the double s double a uh in any capacity after you step down this year yeah i think i i get to stay on the board as the immediate past president non-voting um but it still allows me to have a say and you know i'll still be on the board for at least a little while longer and I'll and yeah you know, I'll still keep chipping away at these issues, so I'm not going away by any stretch of the imagination. And you know whether I seek to get involved back in Victoria, um, it, you know I'll have a think about that if I can add value because Victoria started to do some really really good things, got a very very active, smart, well trained CEO who really understands his job, provided leadership, was right on board with the communication strategy, strategic thinking, and started to make some good some really good changes there. Um, and I was really proud to be a part of that. So, you know, if we could get that sort of change nationally, well, then that would be my idea of a good thing. But, you know, ultimately, you know, the decision stays within the States. But I'll stay involved, Jase. Yeah. Are your views 
we talked about the president's letter before. Uh, would you say your views are generally supported by the Sporting Institute Association of Australia's hierarchy, based on, you know, this, you know, especially the change over the last couple of months in the president's magazine and your direction? Would you say you had the support for that direction? Uh, <laughs> oh, I've stumped no, you. No one, no one stood me up, you bastard. <laughs> no, no one stood me up and said, you know, geez, Dean, I'm disappointed you wrote that. I mean, there's a few few comments I got when I said I believe we should be working with other like-minded organisations, and I talk specifically about the ADA and Field and Game, for example. Uh, it's two organisations I have a very, very healthy respect for who I think are good um, membership-based organisations, and I have no fear about saying that. I'd rather work with them than against them. And you know, one of the things that I would have liked to have seen is is us get together. And you know, we'd largely talked about that because I think our members would expect on uh, issues that affect us more broadly on shooting that we should work together to defend um, shooters' rights or hunters' rights or whatever the case may be. So that's something that. Um, you know, I still think is really, really important. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of our presidents that have had, you know, bad experiences, whatever the case may be, at a state level that may be a little bit more reserved on that. Um, I suppose I've got a, a slap over the wrist on that one, uh, but not a slap over the wrist. No one said take it out or anything. But, look, I think people aren't anti what I'm saying. I don't know whether they all understand it. I don't know whether they understand the vision of what I think it could be um, or whether they actually think... In some ways, they've been good supporters of, but steady as she goes, you know. Um, where are some going? There's a problem here, guys. <laughs> you know, we can get good advice, we can get good support. Our members want this. Let's rip it up. Um, so I suppose it's, you know, sometimes Jason, it's just a matter of them saying, "Oh, we'll get there." Well, you know, I'm a little impatient, perhaps, but you know, I hate to. I, I'm looking at it as this, this giant that. Um, but, you know, if it ever works out what it can do, it could be awesome. Yeah, do you think the members, you know, we know a lot of the states will vote for their presidents. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think the, the members have a right, uh, I guess, to know whether the people they're electing are going to be fighting for their rights or not at a state level and finding out their position on, you know, getting our gun rights, freedoms, liberties back, etc.? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, the SSA is, in Victoria, the members directly elect their board, their, their state office bearers. It's a direct vote of the members. In other states, it's a combined vote of the separately incorporated clubs. So you get this myriad of clubs arising from the disciplines largely or geographical areas. I mean, if you look, for example, James Walsh is the um, president of the Sydney branch of the SSAA. And, you know, I was wrapped one day. James gave me a call and we called back and we exchanged some great ideas. He's got 30,000 members. He's got as many members in one branch as you have with Western Australia, South Australia, Tasmania, Northern Territory put together. And probably as many members nearly as Victoria or thereabouts. And, uh, but he's only a sub-club within that overall structure. Um, but, you know, if you ask James when he would stand for office, and I'm only saying because I've had a, a discussion with him, he would be articulating exactly what his views are. And he's the guy who said, Jesus, don't give me my bloody email addresses because I don't want to mail out 30,000 hard copies. I'd rather spend the money I can save by doing it free on email to put it towards rangers. Well, of course he would. You Great know. idea. So I think, you, yeah, I think, Jason, you can... Every member of the... It's a membership-based organisation. It's run ultimately by the members. 
And I think, you know, it's a matter of members just being, they've just taken the interest to ask the questions and say, hey, what do you, what do you believe in? What will you stand for? And it's just like electing any office bearer, whether it be a local footy club or, the, you know, your federal member of parliament. Yep. Do you think the members say, uh, of obviously, WSAA Nationwide deserve, won't say a referendum, at least a vote to designate where, you know, the organisation will go in the future. There's obviously a lot of members, as you said, just 30,000 here, uh, the Sydney branch or whatever. So, I mean, I think it'd be great to give, you know, I mean, there might be certain people that want the organisation to go a certain way. Um, but at the, end, at the end of the day, the members are the ones paying the membership. It, shouldn't they have a right to say where they want the future of the organisation to go and getting their rights back? Or Perhaps one of the flaws in the SSAA constitution is the national, is, the national body has eight members. That's all. Um, and that is Queensland, Victoria, New South Wales, South Australia, WA, NT, Tassie, ACT. Um, they're its constituent, they make up the board. So the states determine what happens at the national. It's the national in some ways is insulated from the members. And I think, I don't, I don't like that. That's what I'm saying. Put my email address out there um, because it's sort of easy that, that I could sit behind the national and just tick along, you know, happy days. And, you know, I've sort of tried to open it up a little bit, even by talking to you now. I don't think you've had a whole lot of SSA presidents in the past, you know, even want to come near um, talking about. <laughs> yeah, the... I've only had one double and it was Diana Mellon, but she was okay. She was pretty cool. Well, she works very hard, Di. You know, she she's she is one of those people. If I think, oh, without us putting her on the spot, I would say is really supportive of trying to get the association to be more dynamic and 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 a better communicator. And you know, so she's good. But you know, I think, yeah, members. But, the way we're structured is a fundamental flaw is that the members can't access the national. There's not a ballot that, that the national president stands for. He or she is elected by the states. So the members really don't have a say in that. All they can do is elect their state representatives and say, hey, guys, when you go national, I want you to do this. But some of the state presidents work that bloody hard and that flat out on their state issues. Turning their mind to national is just another workload that is thrown on top of them for free, you know, so, you know, the structure itself perhaps is something that really needs to be looked at. Yeah, if there's, if there's a little money being put into fighting for our gun rights, then where sort of is the money being directed at the moment, say, state-wise, in ranges? I mean, I was up at uh, the Ipswich range uh, uh, Christmas time with my brother who just sort of got into firearms himself, and that was a great range, and um, very, very modest non-member fees to go and shoot there, large range, fantastic people, shooting within 15 minutes, couldn't speak more highly of it. But we, I guess where's the money being directed, especially New South Wales, we're not seeing the ranges, so where's the money going? Yeah, look, I, I mean, I don't know the specifics of New South Wales expenditure, and I've, the, the only range I've ever shot on, SSA range in New South Wales, we've been to is St Mary's, which is a, an amazing facility, and you know, I think every state in Australia looks at it with, you know, real jealousy. I mean, it's a great thing. Victoria can't replicate that, you know. You're probably looking at $10 million to replicate that. Um, but, you know, you, you need to politically lobby and try and secure some funding and, and do those sports in a proper way with disabled athletes and all those sort of people and get a, a class facility in place. But um, New South Wales, I know, operates a number of other ranges. Most states do. We have some states that don't even have a range of their own, which really troubles me because I think ranges are absolutely critical to the survival of our sport. And I love the SSA owning its own ranges and investing in it. Eagle Park in Victoria, I don't know if you ever shot there, Jase. It's um amazing facility. Add another 200 metres of firing line last year, largely <clears throat> due to um, 
you know, some great work of the manager, Paul Sheffalabian there, who, I don't know, he just seemed to find a million dollars worth of materials and soil and concrete, and I don't know how he pulled it all off for virtually nothing, but, you know, so states are doing really active things when it comes to ranges. Queensland's an interesting case in point too, because <clears throat> they've got some wonderful facilities, and I think that probably when it comes to achieving... Um, Great facilities for members. I, I look to them. They've done some really good stuff. They've even, even a couple of weeks ago, entered into um, putting a, a koala sanctuary on their land beside the rifle range. You know, they're really committed to also doing those pro-environmental issues. Here we are looking after koalas and all that sort of stuff, shooting next door on, on our target shooting. And, of course, shooters know, yeah, what's wrong with that? We think that's fine. But everyone's going, oh, my God, how could you do that? And we said, why wouldn't we? We're environmentalists. We care about the environment. We're not koala shooters. We're koala protectors, and we are. But put a feral cat in the mix, I'd say it's in deep shit. <laughs> True. I've got to throw in another question. I found this was very interesting. I just thought of it then, and hopefully you'll be able to answer it for me. I know, I mean, as we spoke about the NRA, I know we've had MACOS grants that have you know, gone in to build ranges, which I do think is fantastic. Now, I don't want to sort of discount that. But how can we be, uh, and because we all know the NRA, I mean, if you don't know, I'm sure you do, the NRA takes a big fat zero from the US government, a big fat zero, yet we've had, we've t you know, organisations, not just the SSAA, we've had MACOS grants for rangers. How can we be effective lobbyists to the government if, um, I don't want to say we've got our hand out, but if we're taking uh, money, which yeah, I know we're saying it's going to ranges, and I, I know that's a positive. It's been very, very helpful in the past to get people shooting, to get people into the shooting sports. So I'm not going to decline that. But it's almost like going to work, and, and you're telling your boss he's a, a, a dick, and he's this, that, and the other with all the words under the sun, and then having your hand out at the end of the week for the paycheck. So how can we be effective lobbyists if, in fact, at times we've taken, you know, uh, you know, Macos grants from the government does. Can there be a bit of a conflict of interest? It can make it tricky because, um, you know, if you campaign hard against the <clears throat> state government of whatever particular persuasion, they get in power and you go, oh, by the way, can we have a couple of mil for us? <laughs> you get what I'm saying, though, don't you? Some people said it was preposterous and uh, one individual in particular. And uh, I just said, well, it's not really preposterous because uh, it makes sense to me. How can you go on one week and say, yeah, hang on, Barry O'Farrell this, or, you know, you took away a hundred, but oh, hang on, uh, oh, we're still good for the, you know, the MACOS grants, you know, uh, for, the, for the next three years, which I think subsequently he did take, take office. I think we've subsequently got some of that funding back but you know sorry yeah. continue I didn't mean to butt in there sorry I think um, Jason though we're legitimate in asking as a sporting body for support for our sport because you know so many of our ranges oh, use for example Springvale and Victoria semi-indoor range indoor range St Mary's New South Wales you have disabled athletes come in there and shoot you have multicultural groups come in there you have school groups coming in there you have you know, all sorts of mums and dads and kids go down there and have a ripping time shooting. So we are a legitimate sport, and if any sport should get the support of government funding, because I think participation in sport, no matter what sport, is a good thing. Um, so I think we can legitimately, we, should, we shouldn't be frightened of saying the government should support legitimate supporting programs. To some extent, they do. I think when it comes to funding ranges, most of the ranges um, are funded from the SSAA directly, and I know at the last um, national board learning, I mean, without telling too many tales out of school, is that one of the states was, was keen to get support of a $2 million loan from national to help fund purchase of a range. And, you know, I must admit, 
were feeling quite proud that the National had kept the reserves in check. I think they were you know, between 6 and $7 million up there to help support states to build ranges, whether it be by the way of a loan or whatever the case may be, to get that. Um, Victoria has an existing loan to help them buy a range. So that's where the National can actually help those states do that. Um, as long as a you know, case can be put up to repay it. Western Australia should have its own range. You know, every state, Tasmania hasn't got one of its own. I'd love to have those states have you know, their own ranges. The more ranges, the better. They're good things. Yeah. No, I guess, you know, that's exactly right. It just was more just how, you know, making sure, you know, we're not shying away if we're taking, you know, the money to build ranges and there is some uh, funding there just not being afraid to, you know, make the government accountable and going, you know, going you know, 100% forward as much <clears> as we possibly can and keeping them accountable, not being afraid to do that because, you know, we're afraid we may, might lose some money from the government. That's the case, lose the money. I, I'd rather see them, yes. you know, hit them a bit harder. But getting on that, you're talking about <clears> states. Do the states have a big say on the direction of the organisation or I might even say too big of a say on the direction of the organisation? Well... I guess the states represent the, all the voting power at the national, and it goes back to those eight members. I mean, they hold all the power. The national president is, 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 is a powerless position in that sense. You, you can, um, I mean, the, the role of a chairman, if you want in a broader sense, is to ensure the effectiveness of your board. That's the, the clinical role. Um, you know, I, I like to think that we've had a, a very effective board in the time that I've uh, been president that you get input from people, you get buy-in, you can show leadership on issues. But the states do control the national, absolutely. Um, whether the members should control the national, well, that's, that's a real interesting debate. Um, I kind of like the idea of that. I mean, it probably goes back to my union background of where the members vote on everything. And uh, I always think there's a purity in that, in that you, you put yourself to your members, you seek their support, you promise things, you don't deliver, they whack you. I kind of like that. There's a brutal honesty to it. Um, so, you know, as a reform, it's not something I've thought about in any great depth, but um, yeah, I doubt that you'll get the, the states to, to walk away from that. Yeah. All right, we're just going to go to a quick break. We'll be back with Dean Mile, double SAA president. Uh, we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Well, folks, it's that time of year again. Huntfest is on in 2014. What is Huntfest, you might ask? Huntfest is New South Wales' biggest southern hunting exhibition. Huntfest in 2013 and 2014 had to rally the Naruma Council to allow Huntfest to go ahead for a second year. Even beating the Greens twice at Council continue the rich hunting culture in Naruma. On show at Huntfest this year includes firearms displays, 3D archery shooting, hunting and camping equipment and much, much more. Huntfest will also be running their very popular photo and video competition again, so make sure you get your entries in early. Exhibitors on show in 2014 include the Shooters and Fishers Party, Abella's Gun Shop, the Australian Deer Association, Sporting Outback Supplies, South Coast Hunters Club and many more. If you'd like to be an exhibitor at Huntfest in 2014 and support the hard work of the organisers at Huntfest, then call Dan Field on 02 4473 7035. Dates are 7th and 8th, June long weekend. Naruma Sports and Leisure Centre right next to the roundabout. You can't miss it. Costs are $10 for adults and children under 16 free. For more information, go to huntfest.com.au. Huntfest, the place to be in 2014. All right, Dean, uh, the shooters and hunters, you know, as I said before, they were looking for a bloke to stand up for our freedoms and you know, saying the right things, getting our freedoms and firearms back. Now that you're leaving the organisation, who do you think will possibly step up and take on that role? 
Um, look, probably the most experienced of our presidents would be Jeff Jones from Queensland. You know, um, Jeff's uh, he's got decades of experience. He's his Queensland Queensland branch. You know, if I'm um, would be honest enough to say without offending any other states is is a very very good state in terms of what it's achieves at a state level and I expect that um, that Jeff would um, put his hand up to to take on the national president's role. Yeah, yeah, no, good stuff. What can shooters do, mate, to get off their collective asses? I'll say on this show to make change for firearms laws and get political. I know it's not always up to the double S double A. I always tell people that you can't always be asking the question, "What are you know political parties or organisations doing?" You sometimes you should be asking what you can do for them. So, what can they do to get off their butts and make some change? Get active. <clears throat> you know, in any membership-based organisation, you you have power. And you have a right to have a say and, and you have a right to be heard. And I just think, you know, if you've got a vision of what you'd like the SSAA to be, have those discussions within your subclubs. You know, we would like, and don't think it's all too hard because everyone thinks it's all too hard. Nothing happens. There is no effective change. You know, I think you need within your states because that's where the, the action is, if you like, and that's where the members can make a difference is to, is to talk to your, your, your presidents of your subclubs or your sub-branches and say... I'd like to think we're doing this, this and this. And when we have our state conferences, I would like you to, to lobby for this or, or ring up your national, your state president or your state secretary and say, hey, you know, don't be, don't attack them. So look, why aren't we doing this? I really think we should do it. Send off an email. Um, you know, I've loved being open to emails from members nationally and it's not something, I, I don't know whether it'll continue after I'm gone, um, <laughs> but I liked it. And, and I always gave every member who wrote to me a personal response. Sometimes that took a while, but, you know, it was worth it. I put my email out there, believe I should be accountable. So don't be frightened to have that those issues and, you know, and debate them out in, in forums and podcasts even. Yep, we know. There, obviously, on the flip side of that too, there's obviously some AA members that may be completely dissatisfied. Obviously, there, there, there's some out there. I've heard from a few of them uh, with the organisation's performance, especially politically, which you spoke about before. Uh, I guess will they? When will the, will the AA or do they realise? I mean, shooters uh, want their rights and their freedoms and their firearms back. Do they understand that? And yeah, yes, they understand it without a doubt. Um, you know, if you talk to Ron Bryant, the Western Australian president, if you look at the attitude of the Western Australian police to to firearms rights and, rights and firearms laws, I mean, if you have a black hunting rifle, it's a prohibited weapon. I mean, why? it's a what? <laughs> you know, I just shake my head. <laughs> uh, but in Western Australia, they really do it tough. I mean, they cranked up their licensing fees 500%. Um, yeah, they understand the issues, all right. You know, do we, how do we feel about getting our legitimate semi-autos back? Well, you know, I don't think any of us think we're going to get AK-47s anytime soon. I don't think any of us think we need it. But semi-automatic hunting rifles or semi-automatic competition rifles, I'll give you another great example. I got a wonderful email from a member who was a disabled shooter and lost his 22 semi-auto. And for him, it ended his ability to compete because his disability didn't allow him to operate a bolt. And you think to yourself, how hard could it be to have exemptions for people that are that are using semi-automatic rifles in competitions, and you know, it's like people say, well, you shouldn't have semi-automatic pistols. Well, go down and actually have a look at the way these guys compete in their sport. It's safe, it's exciting, it's fantastic. Yet the scrutiny that goes on those guys that do that competition is crazy. So yeah, look, the SSA does get it. 
Do we lobby effectively? No. Are we, do we communicate effectively? No. Uh, can we be much better? Of course we can. And I think we get that. It's how we get there. It's going to be a real challenge. Yeah, I know. I know a lot of uh, members that go shooting have a disability too, but I also think yeah they should be allowed obviously those firearms too. But I think as a, as a collective we should be looks at looking at you know do we have to have a disability to be able to get our rights back and our firearms back? I don't. I don't. I personally don't believe that's the case. I know a lot of people believe that as well. So I think we should be you know canvassing or umbrella over all shooters to be able to get their rights back. But I do understand what you're saying, but. I guess, Dean, um, well, I've got a question here. Oh, we've got some listener, or one listener question, I think, at the moment. Craig. Craig says, uh, why do we not see SSAA organise pro-firearms rallies as we did under Ted Drain when faced with further draconian legislation? I'm guessing he's, he's here in New South Wales because he says, case in point, the ammo bill in New South Wales. Mm. Well, good old Craig. Thanks, Craig. Yeah, I guess good on you, Craig. Um, look, it's a good question. I think, um, you know, that's the sort of activity... I'm just starting to imagine in my head saying, oh, beauty, you want to call a rally in any given state? You know, we'd be, we'd be out there, we'd be drafting our, our media release, we'd be drafting our invitation, we'd send them off to the, you know, the designers and we'd send off to the printers and four weeks later it'd be mailed to members. You know, those slow response times that are a problem. But why don't we? Because clearly we're chosen not to for whatever reason. And um, not that there's been a stark issue that, that I've, seen in the last two years to fire members' imaginations. And, you know, if there was, you know, it's like I said to you earlier, Jase, that if we had a if we had a 1996 attack on firearms again, I think we've got the turning circle of the Queen Mary. It would take us a long time to mobilise. Other organisations take a day um, because they use social media, because they use electronic means of communication, because they're very effective. They can get their message out quicker. <clears throat> you know, I don't think there's... I don't think we'd be shy of doing it if the if a real urgent issue came up um, in place. You could argue, well, why don't we have one in Western Australia when they put a 500% increase in in uh, licence fees, or when they disbanded game council, or whatever the case may be? You know, they're probably all legitimate um, occasions to to try and have it. But you know, you've got politics and all sorts of things. So I'm not shying away from it. Um, you know, I'd love them. I love rallies. It's a great expression of your country's democracy, to be quite honest. Um, always support everyone's right to protest um, lawfully and safely and non-violently, and I think that's critical. And you know, the, you know, there must be a preparedness from us all to, to do what Craig's raised. That's right, yeah. They should be, like, with the money in the kitty, I said, always say, like, every organisation, and the NRA do that very well, and they have obviously a lot of people on their payroll doing that. But also, too, the NRA, considering to their population, don't actually have a lot of members. So, But they do, what they do is, within their magazines, their articles, their emails, they do it very, very... Uh, effectively and if there's money in the kitty I believe people should be put on either uh, an individual per state I know we had Tim Horan doing it here in New South Wales as communication uh, getting those people on board getting videos out there I mean I had this conversation um, with the SFP I'm helping that at the moment trying to get some videos out for them of you know, Robert Brown and Robert Borzak because before me uh, there was no one doing it you know what I mean Clive Palmer he's out there putting videos up yeah mind you he's a millionaire but it takes you know a, <laughs> a, a, yeah, a $600 camera you know a, a DSLR camera with a, a microphone 
uh, with something to say and to get the voice out there and get that out there because, again, people need to see it. Some people don't want to go to a website. I want, I, I'm very visual. I want to see something. I want to see someone talk to me. How can I get involved? What can I do? And I think that's really uh, important. But no, very well said. So, Dean, where are you headed, mate, after relinquishing the, the uh, presidency? Full-time work, your own business, back to the unions. What's, what, what's, up, for, what's up for Dean? No, I've got my own consulting business, which, you know, I'll continue doing the work I'm, I've always been doing um, in terms of earning a, earning a quid since I left the union. Uh, I've got to put a lot of time into my Remembrance Foundation and hopefully the Sporting Shooters Association will will get behind me a little bit because there's a great thing, I think, a lot of shooters really get Remembrance and, you know, every time I talk to members and for, the, for a, I remember going to the ACT and then... Um, annual general meeting of members which was just fantastic i loved it you know you got to talk to members listen to them they got me to listen to what they had to say it was bloody great night and then i had to drive home that night it finished about eight o'clock slept in the car and then made it to adelaide for the air agm the next day and again really similar i think members really appreciated a chance to have it input directly into the national about what was going on and you know, those sort of opportunities were fantastic, but I, you know, I'm sort of hoping to get behind the SSAA. Uh, the SSA gets behind the Remembrance Foundation. Those members loved it. I think we want to do something about remembrance, so I'll still do a bit there, Jase, um, and still be on the board. Um, although non-voting member, um, you know, I can be a bit of an annoying bastard. Still, yeah. still get heard. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, the next person that takes over, we start seeing the same thing. I know a lot of people. You know they really what they were really liking what you had to say, and as I said, for a friend of mine to bring this up to me and say this is something we need to talk about with you know and Mar or Mars, I call him Mars, but Mars says we need to really push this guy, we need to support this guy. I know he's a big supporter of James Walsh, and he says good things about what he's doing and his uh, ideas on the direction, uh, at least of the Sydney branch. Anyway, is really important. But mate, obviously we want to we want to finish off on a bit of a uh, exciting, fun note, mate. Doesn't matter where you're from, you know, Olympic shooter, double S double A national president, or just an everyday hunter segment series. We've got we've got five questions in under a minute, which is a segment we've got running here. So. Uh, you're no exception, so do you feel like you can take the challenge and answer the questions in five questions in under a minute? Jason, I think I have absolutely no choice. Far away. <laughs> All right, what I'm going to do is going to grab the phone here. All right, I'll start the recording uh, as soon as I start answering. Uh, sorry, start the question. So, all right, three, two, one. All right, go. What was your fa what's your favourite game species to hunt? What is it and why? Uh, pigs, feral animal. Don't think they should be in our environment, and a great challenge. Yeah, if you could hunt anywhere in the world, where would it be, and why? Uh, Deniliquin, Victoria. Um, I've had great hunting, hunting experiences there, or Bell Randall. <coughs> Bell Randall, I'll make it. Um, great hunting experiences there. Wonderful times. I love my country better than anyone else. Yeah, proudest uh, moment. Country. Sorry, proudest moment at the Double S Double A. What was it, and why? Uh, I think it was at least um, talking to Jason on the podcast. <laughs> oh, no way. What's, what's your favourite thing to cook around the campsite? What is it and why? Uh, steak. I'm, just, I'm a steak and eggs man. Um, I love it. Uh, I can turn my hand to a fair damper too. Don't worry about that. Yeah. What was your prou proudest moment hunting moment and what was it and why? Um, oh, proudest would be hunting rabbits with my son for the first time. Would have been was great. We had a, an awesome day, best hunting experience I've ever had. Yeah, and only got about four. It was great. 
just a wonderful time. Ooh, mate. Yeah, I'm going to have to let you know you failed the five uh, questions in under a minute, but only by six seconds. But <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mate. <laughs> no, that's all right. Uh, fantastic. All right, Dean, thanks for coming on the show to share the insights uh, into, uh, I guess, not only the presidents, the national presidency of the SSAA, but how can the SSAA be more effective, some of the positive things they're doing uh, with the organisation. Uh, wish you all the very best, and I guess in the future, we're obviously not going to lie, I'm, I'm personally disappointed. I know a lot of people are that you're leaving because they were really liking what you had to say. They needed someone in there with some, you know, as you said, some balls to get in there and tell them this is what we need to do and get some change going. None of this slow change. We want fast change. We want to get mobile, as you said before, get the emails out there, get mobile so we can make a difference uh, if and when something happens from this government. But I really do appreciate your time in talking on the show. I know it's uh, hard to get large organisations and people uh, on the show to come and chat to me sometimes, uh, but it's great that you've been available to have a chat. Wish you all the best in the future with your future endeavours. Hopefully we can knock back a beer one day somewhere along the line. So thanks again for joining me. Oh, Jay, it's my pleasure, mate. It was great to talk to you and, you know, um, happy and safe hunting to all your listeners. You've just been educated and this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.